Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most Holy Virgin Mary, help of Christians, how sweet it is to come to your feet imploring your perpetual help. If earthly mothers cease not to remember their children, how can you, the most loving of all mothers, forget me? Grant then to me, I implore you, your perpetual help in all my necessities, in every sorrow, and especially in all my temptations. I ask for your unceasing help for all who are now suffering. Help the weak, cure the sick, convert sinners. Grant through your intercession many vocations to the religious life. Obtain for us, O Mary, help of Christians, that having invoked you on earth, we may love and eternally thank you in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was a prayer composed by St. John Bosco, or also known as Don Bosco. Uh, and today is his feast day, so I'm going to talk about him a little bit. But first, uh, the prayer intention for the day is for protection over all the millions of people in the path of the ice storm that is heading across the south and mid part of the country. Uh, so, Lord, we ask you to diffuse this storm and to send your mighty angels in to protect those who are in its path, that uh, you would quench this storm. You have power over the elements. We saw Jesus stop the storm at sea, and we ask you to crush this storm and to lead your, lead your people into safety. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So pray, keep that in your prayers today, the, the, that Lord would protect his people from this storm and all the storms of life. All right, so this man is quite a saint. You know, he had a lot of the same gifts as Padre Pio, but he didn't get the notoriety for those gifts because the lion's share of his life was dedicated to helping children, particularly young boys. And that came out of uh, his childhood. He had, his own childhood was very, very difficult. And uh, from his own experience of how tough life was, he wanted to then help young kids when he became an adult. So he was born Giovanni Melchior Bosco uh, in Becci, Italy, August 16th, 1815. And this, at this time that he was born was just at the end of the Napoleonic War, uh, which ravaged Italy. And on top of the, those problems, there was also a severe drought and a famine throughout Italy when he was born. So times were tough. And then at the age of two, his dad died and left him and his two older brothers to be raised by his mother, Margarita. Uh, and by the way, his mother has also been declared a venerable by the church back in 2006. So raised by his very devout mother, John attended church and became very devout himself. And to help his family, he grew food and he helped raise the sheep. And despite the fact that they were tremendously poor, whenever a homeless person or somebody would knock on the door begging for food or clothing or shelter, they were never turned away. They were always given something. And this also left a deep impact on him that would affect his priesthood 
uh, later in life. Now, when he was nine years old, he had the first of what he would call his these mystical dreams. And they were very vivid and they were prophetic and they had a profound influence not only on others but on his own life. And in this first dream, he saw what he calls um, there was a, a, a man and a woman, a majestic man and woman, which I believe would be Jesus and Mary. And uh, they said to him that he would conquer these your friends be strong humble and robust when the time comes you will understand everything he never forgot that dream and in fact later in life he would wind up bringing so many of his friends he would call his friends into uh his his religious order that he founded but more importantly were all these young boys that he would help so he had a, a deft, like I mentioned, a difficult uh, childhood. And then when he was just 12 years old, he left the home and went out on his own to start his life. He had a brother that was very hostile towards him, and that kind of hastened his departure from getting out of the house. Um, he had difficult finding work, but eventually he lands a job in a vineyard, no less. Can you imagine? He's working in a vineyard, and that would be a precursor to him working in the Lord's Vineyard years later. So he worked there for about two years where he met a priest named Joseph Cafasso who began to help him and uh, direct him towards getting into the seminary. And so after the two years, he did join the seminary and he stayed there for six years uh, learning and preparing and was finally ordained a priest in 1841. Now, his first assignment, he was sent to the city of Turin in Italy, you know, where the Shroud uh, resides. And Turin was a tough place. Uh, there was a big industrialization going on throughout Italy, and there were many slums with incredible poverty in Turin. And it was into this neighborhood that John, now known as Father Bosco, he went to work with the children of the poor. This became his mission. Something else he discovered, which sounds crazy to, to us in the year 2023, but he also did a lot of prison work, prison ministry. And upon visiting the prisons, he noticed there were so many young boys between the ages of 12 and 18 already in prison, 12-year-olds in prison. And the conditions were absolutely deplorable. And he felt so moved uh, that he had to help the boys on the street so they wouldn't wind up in these prisons. So all these factors are coming together, converging uh, upon him that are galvanizing his mission to uh, teach, to catechize, and to educate these young people on the streets. So when he wasn't preaching, he worked tirelessly in uh, seeking work for the young boys who needed it and for searching for homes for them. Many of them were homeless on the street. And then his mother started working with him, and she became known as Mama Margarita. And by the 1860s, uh, Father Bosco and his mother were responsible for lodging 800 boys. Can you imagine having a home with 800 young boys in it? But they were doing it. And out of this home came a steady stream of men going off to the seminary to become priests. So he was using his influence with these uh, poor 
poor boys on the street to, to move them right into uh, going off to seminary. Now, a common practice of the day was uh, the children were abused, not sexually, but by using them for labor. And um, he negotiated new rights for boys who were being employed as apprentices that they couldn't be abused like the hours and, and the pay wouldn't be what it should be. So he was getting laws passed to help them. And uh, he finally established in 1859 the Society of St. Francis de Sales. And it began with just 15 seminarians and one teenage boy. And the purpose of this group was to carry on his charitable work to keeping the boys out of trouble. And it still exists today, and it continues to help uh, people, especially children, all over the world. Now, he died in uh, January 31st, which is why we celebrate his feast today, the 31st, in 1888. And almost immediately was a call for his canonization. And the Pope at the time, Pius XI, knew him personally and agreed, declaring him a blessed in 1929. Um, he was canonized on Easter Sunday, 1934, and given the title Father and Teacher of Youth. Father and Teacher of Youth. Now, something he was uh, is very much known for are the, the visions he's had, these mystical visions. But as I mentioned, he had many of the charisms and gifts that Padre Pio had. Uh, and, and perhaps even more, um, he was known to levitate and glow while he celebrated Mass. He would fly up off the floor above the altar and a light would beam out of him. He uh, very, very often multiplied food because there was such a shortage of food during the famines that were going on in Italy and all the problems supplying the food chain. Uh, he would multiply, not just that, even if there were hosts in the uh, ciborium and then suddenly there would be um, many people came to his mass the hosts would multiply and he would always have enough hosts to distribute communion he raised two people from the dead one of them was in hell a young boy again a young boy in hell and the boy came back to life and thanked him profusely and they spoke for about two hours and he uh, ministered to him with the sacrament and then asked the boy, would you like to stay with us or would you like to go home to heaven? And the boy said, I would like to go to paradise. And then he slipped off and was gone, this time heading north to heaven. Um, he cured many sick, even paralyzed people. He fully restored to uh, working legs and all sorts of things. So he was quite an exceptional priest, uh, an exceptional saint even. But again, what he's known for most is the care of the children and his visions. And I'll tell you the visions, some of them. He had a vision um, of these boys, uh, three boys, and they had ropes tied around their neck. And in the vision, he kept saying, take that off your neck. And they couldn't answer him, but just stared at him. Uh, and there was one standing very close to him and said, take off the rope. And the child said, I can't lift it. There's somebody behind me that holds it. So he peeked behind the boy, and there was the demon with two long horns holding the rope around the boy's neck. 
and uh, he this is all in the vision he ran and got holy water and threatened the uh, demon saying he was going to douse him in holy water unless he answered his questions and he said um, tell me immediately what you do here you ugly beast you do not scare me uh, so apparently the beast said there's three laces he called them that hold the young people in bondage to the devil and that causes them to confess badly. Um, so the first one is to silence the young to not confess their sins. This is actual demonic activity, silencing the young. The second is to push them to confess without pain. And the third is to make suggestions and not to follow the warnings of the confessor. So this is fascinating to me that there's, you know, there's actually demons he learned that are working, particularly with the youth, to get them, one, to not go to confession, two, to make a bad confession, and three, to not listen to the advice of the priest. Uh, if this is going on 200 years ago, you can bet it's still going on today. And of course, the confessionals, for the most part, are empty, right? Particularly the youth. I mean, when even kids in Catholic school, when I found that you know we'd have two penance services a year, one during Advent, one during Lent, and the vast majority of the kids would say, uh, "Bless me, Father, for I've sinned." My last confession was at the penance service during Advent, if it was Lent, or at the penance service during Lent, if it was Advent. Meaning they only went twice a year during these penance services. Now. Okay, so they fulfilled the obligation of the precept regarding confession, but this is not good, especially given the horrendous state of the world and the temptations that these kids have. It's it's such an, uh, a tidal wave of um, garbage that's slung at children these days, and and they're so they're so um, susceptible and impressionable and all of these ways that the media and the social media and the Hollywood and the Madison Avenue people are seeking to defile and to eliminate the purity in the children, the innocence to destroy their innocence. It's coming at them from every angle. You know, I don't have to remind you of these ridiculous drag queen uh, library events where the drag queens are basically stripping and they have children stuffing uh, dollar bills into their garter belts. Uh, this is outrageous. And for parents to bring a child to such a thing, oh, I believe Jesus said it'd be better to tie a millstone around your neck and toss you into the ocean. That's what he said than to destroy the innocence of a child. So uh, I went off on a tangent, but you know, it makes me crazy because it's really true. The, the children, it's the most difficult time to be a child since the history of the world began with Adam and Eve. That's the truth. Uh, one, you have to make it out of the womb. That alone is uh, a difficult situation for for more, more people than not. So more people die in the womb every day than outside the womb. I don't know if you knew that. More people every day die in the womb than outside the womb. If you combine all the ways people die, natural causes 
heart attacks, cancer, strokes, accidents, murders, all of them combined are less than the number of abortions that take place every day. Isn't that amazing? Imagine the, the, the perspective of heaven watching this and seeing how there's such a great disregard for life. Um, so then the, if the kid does make it out of the womb into uh, the hospital incubator or bed, then the, 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 the barrage of uh, assaults against purity begin at a very young age. And um, even the fact that so many parents have opted to have their children raised by uh, other people other than themselves, because they both parents have to work to keep up the the lifestyle that they um, have chosen to live. Um, and I'm not judging people. I'm just saying, you know, uh, when I was growing up, it was a different time. And parents made a decision that there would be the mother usually stayed home and raised the kids at least till they were off to, to school and um, if you were to pick up a copy of the Apostle the Apostle of Holy Motherhood where Our Lady spoke to an American woman in the 80s about how children should be looked at as the jewels of the family and should be greatly protected and guarded and raised by the parents um, she saw it was coming. Our lady saw it was coming. And so she, she drove that point home. Um, I think it's become so mainstream that I don't think people understand the value that there is in a child being raised by its own parents. There's a tremendous value. There's a bond that takes place. There's, um, a holiness that can be, uh, imparted from parent to child in the in the way that the parent would love the child in a way that somebody else can't you know a stranger can't love your child the way that you do and i think over time um there's some kind of a shortfall or or call it a uh a handicap not a physical handicap but like a handicap like in golf where the child who wasn't raised by its own parents full-time um, is going to have some more challenges later in life than the one who did. But anyway, just my own opinion. Okay, so back to his visions. So one of the most uh, important, I would say, vision um, of uh, Don Bosco was one that he saw of the church as a ship. One that he saw of the church as a ship. Um, and it's a very interesting dream because uh, basically he, he had the perspective of being on the seashore or sort of on an isolated rock looking at this whole thing that was happening. And it was a great battle happening on, on the sea. And the ships had these big spears on the front of them and they were coming after the main ship, which would be the church, the bark of Peter. And they were ramming them with these spears. Uh, they had cannons shooting at them. There were rifles shooting at them. All sorts of bombs were going off. Um, and the attack was a, a, a true assault trying to destroy this ship, which was the church. And, uh, 
It also had many smaller ships, which were with the big ship, the church. So I'm not sure what that, how that would be represented. Maybe the the um, the other Christian faiths. I don't know. But then, in the middle of the sea, rose two columns that came out of the sea, big like marble columns. And um, they were uh, far far enough apart that the boat could get between them. On top of one column, there was a statue of the Immaculate Virgin Mary, and from uh, the bottom of her feet, there hung a sign that had an inscription, Auxilium Christi Christianum Orum, the help of Christians. And on the other pillar, which is actually taller than the first, stood a host of the Blessed Sacrament. And it was of a tremendous size proportionate to the column uh, that was beneath it. And underneath that were the words, Salus Crudentium, which means salvation of the faithful. And the, the Holy Father was standing on the front of the big ship. And he was surveying the fury of the enemies seeking to destroy the church. And um, so he summoned around himself the captains of the smaller ships, and he held a little council to decide what has to be done. So all the captains come aboard, and they gather around the Pope, and the Pope holds a meeting. But as the meeting's happening, the wind and the waves rise up in a great storm. So now it's not just the attack of the enemies, but the, the very elements of nature are now attacking the church. So they had to go back to their ships. And after a short lull, the, a second time the Pope gathers the captains around him, um, and... Uh, the frightful storm comes back a second time. Uh, this time the Pope stands at the helm with all of his energies being directed to steering the ship towards the two columns and trying to anchor it with chains. Uh, as this is happening, the enemy ships are moving into attack and they try in every way to stop the, the big ship, the church, and to sink it. And they're, they're throwing at it books and writings, and uh, other materials. This is very interesting to, to note. It's through the writings and the books that the errors and the heresies are being spread. It's, it's symbolic. So the battle keeps raging on, and the enemy uh, is uh, coming even more violently against the boat, the big ship. But their efforts prove useless, and in vain. And the big ship goes safely and smoothly on its way. Occasionally it's being struck with uh, hard blows, but it, it's managing to, to uh, stay afloat. And all of a sudden, a gentle breeze blows from the two columns, and the, the cracks in the ship are closed, and the gaps are stopped immediately. So there was a supernatural wind, you could say the Holy Spirit, I would guess, that comes and repairs the ship, that's being uh, so beat, uh, harshly beaten and brutalized. And at the same time, the guns of the assailants are blown up and the rifles and the other arms are broken in half. And many of the ships, the enemy ships, are shattered and sink into the sea. And with that, the, enemy, uh, the enemies try to fight with hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat against the church 
And then suddenly the Pope falls gravely wounded. So there's people that come and try to help him up. The second time the Pope is struck, he falls again and he dies. And a shout of victory rings out amongst the enemies and an unspeakable mockery arises. But hardly is the Pope dead for just a moment than another Pope rises up to take his place. And uh, the successor takes his place at the head of the ship. And the adversaries begin to lose courage. The new Pope, putting the enemy to rout and overcoming every obstacle, guides the ship right up to the two columns and comes to rest between them. And he makes it fast uh, with a light chain, connects to the po- to the pillars, and uh, the ship is now in safety. A great convulsion takes place, and all the ships that until then had fought against the Pope ship are scattered, they flee, they collide, and they break to pieces one against the other, uh, and they sink. And several uh, small ships that had fought gallantly for the Pope race to be the first to bind themselves to those two columns with the large ship, and uh, many other ships having retreated through fear of the battle cautiously watch from far away. The wrecks of the broken ships, having been scattered in whirlpools of the sea, um... They turn their sail in good earnest to the two columns, and having reached them, they make themselves uh, attached to them with the other ships. Over the sea, there reigns a great calm. So, uh, from this prophetic vision, we see that there's uh, an impending battle that's going to take place, and the uh, wellspring of protection and grace is going to come from the Holy Eucharist and the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin Mary. There it is in a nutshell. Fascinating story. You should look it up yourself and read it. It's, it's worth really going into some more detail. I'm out of time though. So may God bless you and keep you. And I bless you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. This is father Dan signing off. <laughs>